guys, welcome, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming along. Hello, thank you. So, do you want to start by introducing yourself, Stuart, and what your business does, and yeah. how you've got to where, where you are? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a kind of a strange route how I got here. So, in primary five, the teacher gave me an exercise to design a house. And I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I thought, I want to be an architect. <laughs> and that was yep. it. I just kept focusing on that. Mm-hmm. And this secondary school knew that was what my intention was. And they came to me and said, actually, there's a job going for architecture and you can have day release so you can get your qualifications as well as getting your wage. Getting experience, yeah. And it turns out um, the architect firm had actually done a lot of work in the area that I grew up. So it was a perfect fit. I then went straight for school, went to architecture and loved it. Did that for nine years. And I became really friendly with somebody else in the company who had decided they were going to leave and go back and work for their dad. Right. And he had a ventilation business. Ah, right. And if I'm being completely honest, it was like a two-minute walk for the house and I thought, I'm going to give that a go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I knew I could go back to architecture. You can always fall back on it, exactly. But when I started... I just loved the business side mm-hmm. and I was uh, loving the knowledge about ventilation. So it was, it was, I love learning. So it was a perfect fit for me. There was so much. But, but surely as an architect, you've got a really good appreciation of the importance of ventilation and why, why you would use it anyway. Yeah. So surely it would have been a good fit. It was a perfect fit as well because I could look at drawings and understand them straight away. I'd been on sites and you can understand the difficulties trying to fit something. So it was, it yeah. was ideal. And, I, I did that, I worked at that company for a long, long time and I learnt so much. Brilliant. And then eventually I'd been headhunted by a big manufacturer and I thought I'm going to give that a try and see what that's like. Mm-hmm. And I did that and then worked for quite a few big, really well, well-known manufacturers and then decided to just go on my own because I'd always fancied that mm-hmm. but never took the set. It's, it's quite a unique selling point coming from an architecture background because not speaking out of turn, but what we find with ve- a lot of through and through ventilation guys is they don't have a the appreciation of how ventilation ties into the building. Mm, yeah. You just go, I need to get a duct from A to B. Yeah. yeah. So it's good that you've got an architectural background, so you've got an appreciation of some of the struggles on site mm-hmm. and some of the construction issues. Yeah. So, so what about yourself, Gordon? Have you uh, got a similar background? Or? Uh, mine's a bit more of a checkered past. Um, yeah. So I've definitely not come into engineering from a direct route. So I've actually started off with a degree in psychology, um, wow. which is serving me really well. <laughs> and uh, from there, I actually had a friend who was in the Merchant Navy at the time. And he said, look, you know, you're not going to get a job in psychology. And I wasn't. He said, why don't you come and give this a go? And I thought, retrain as an engineer, three years. So I went and did it, did a cadetship at sea, worked at sea for a couple of years, and then ended up working as a lecturer at a college yep. um, for a couple of years. Really, really enjoyed it. And after a little while, I was speaking to a friend, a mutual friend of Ian Stewart. And he said, look, Stewart's got a, Stewart's looking for somebody. And I thought, is it time to get back into industry? And I thought, aye. So that's my, that's my past. I need yeah, somebody yeah. technical. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the other person in the office who's office-based has a completely different background again. And she's learned super fast. But there was times where she needed that wee bit of backup and I was maybe out at meetings. So yeah. 
made sense because Gordon's there to help. 100%. And I'm not being biased because I, I served my time in the, the Merchant Navy, but there's, there's a level of training that you get in the Merchant Navy yeah. that's unmatched because yeah. when something goes wrong when you're out at sea, it needs fixed. So you need to be able to, to think on your feet. You need to be able to problem solve. So it's yeah. no, totally, totally yeah. a great addition to the team. Totally. I mean, um, when you know, when when you're at sea, you are you're in the mechanic. You're responsible for the ventilation. You're responsible for refrigeration, diesel engines, motors, generators. You, you know, you are you are the ship's engineer, and you have to kind of know a bit of everything, really. And you I can't think, phone up the manufacturer and say, "I've got a problem well, with the machine." <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't get a call it in the middle of the Atlantic, right? You know, so exactly. you, you have to get you have to make it work. So, I think what was really good about that for me was it it showed me that I could do it yeah like that I could actually operate these systems repair them fix them so it gave me that confidence to see it but also, also when I was there I got that technical experience yeah. in fact the first troubleshooting I ever did was on a fan yeah <laughs> and uh, what had happened <laughs> wasn't even that complicated when someone was painting it they'd uh, drop the brush into the fan and it blocked it blocked the fan that was it mm. Uh, no. That was the first thing I had to troubleshoot when I got onto my first ship as a, as a third engineer. So there you go. I've actually still got the paintbrush, believe it or not. It's <laughs> fake. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you you guys um, are ventilation specialists. So do you want to give us a bit of a... Well, what is ventilation in, in a building? And how how mm-hmm. can it benefit a building's operation? Sure. So it's, in a nutshell, it's really getting fresh good quality air into that space which sounds really simple because you would think i'll just put a fan in and pull air feet outside to inside mm-hmm. but for talking sake if it's city center you're pulling in a lot of pollution of course yeah so it's getting that balance inside where you're getting the air for the outside but it's actually filtered properly so that it is you know good quality air that you're breathing yep and it's that's obviously beneficial for the occupants and the building fabric itself I think it's overlooked quite a bit. I was on a, a training thing yesterday and they actually showed you like some of the projects for the heat exchangers and heat recovery units yep. where the filtration was only G4 or less. Mm-hmm. So very the heat exchanger and everything else was black, there was mould. Yeah. It was pretty horrendous. And when you looked at that the images you'd think, God, I'm breathing that in. That's mm-hmm. that's bad. Not, not even to mention the efficiency of the heat exchanger over time Aye. degrading. Yeah. Aye. And, uh, and, and why is ventilation important within within a building? So obviously you've mentioned that it pulls out stale air, pushes in fresh air, but is there anything over and above that that Aye. really helps the building and the occupants within? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, uh, you know, as Stuart correctly said, you know, it's about getting fresh air into the building, but... As buildings have gotten bigger, more complicated, you know, you can't just rely on natural ventilation with windows and stuff. So you've got spaces that now need to have mechanical ventilation in order to make sure you're getting the right level of fresh air in for the occupancy. But not only that, you know, with with net zero, with uh, energy prices going up, now you need buildings to be more energy efficient and not just using that energy more efficiently, but also recovering it as well. You can't do that with a window. So if you're heating up all that air in a space and you just have a window, well, guess what? You're just heating up the air outside. Yeah. So with a ventilation system, suddenly you can introduce things like heat recovery where you're actually extracting that useful energy back into the system and warming up the fresh air that's coming in. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you mentioned net zero there in energy reduction. Yep. 
and, and from a layman's point of view, mm. they might see pushing in cold air from outside in a winter's day and pulling out your nice warm air. Mm. How's that making the building more energy efficient? Surely that's got a massive impact on your your heating costs, your energy costs. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what what have we got in place at, in the ventilation systems to sort of safeguard against that? So generally they'll put heat recovery in, whether it's plate heat exchangers or the, the thermal wheel. Yeah, and that'll recover. Have really high percentage of the heat. Yeah, but without the air being contaminated. Exactly. Yeah. So I suppose the way to to explain it for listeners who are maybe not that familiar with what what it's like. Imagine you've got like a plate of metal in the middle, and on the one side you've got a cold fresh air coming in on one side of the plate, and then on the other side of that plate you've got the warm moist stale air that's been extracted from the space. So because you've got this conductive metal plate, this heat conductive metal plate in the middle that warm air is then heating up the cold air without actually mixing and therefore you're actually getting a lot of the energy the heat energy transferred from one side to the other but still getting the fresh air into the building so that's that's a big part of the, the heat recovery systems yeah yeah so and do you see ventilation playing a big role in the the race to net zero or people reducing their energy consumption if it's done right mm -hmm. and i say that because Sometimes the thought train is, oh, well, I've got heat recovery in there, so, you know, that's going to help. But yeah. it needs to be more than that. Yeah, It depends on lots of things about how the system's designed because if it's really poorly designed and the resistance is through the roof to get the air through that in, in the building, then the heat recovery unit or the fans have got to work so much harder. Yeah. Mm. So the energy consumption then, it's defeating the purpose, really. 100%. Mm. Um, so yeah, if it's if it's done right, and when I say that, some projects, and this is me, I'm, I, we all respect the architects, but sometimes yeah. they don't allow enough plant space, and 100%. then you're trying to make something that's like a, trying to make it fit, and it it's quite difficult. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing that we we always look at when making the system more efficient is: are we mm. using electric heater batteries? Are we using LTHW? Mm. What what are we using to heat the, the air to, to make it tempered before it's come in? Because yep. the easy thing to do is just put an electric heater battery in, but they've got a massive energy mm -hmm. draw on yep. them. Yep. Whereas you might have LTHW in the area already. You could Use size it. a coil accordingly yep. if, if the plant's already sized and it just makes it more efficient on the grander scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of like the, the going to net zero, you've got, the way I see it, you've, you've kind of got two aspects of that. You've got the actual materials so that you're putting into the building in the first place. So you've got your carbon content in there, but then you've also got the energy efficiency of those materials once they've been installed as well. Yeah. I think as a, as a rough figure, about half, somewhere between 40 and 60% of a, a building's energy cost will go on to the heating and ventilation. So if we're talking about getting closer to that net zero target, anything we can do to reduce that both in terms of the embodied carbon and improve the energy efficiency is only going to be a good thing mm -hmm. yeah and that can come from simple things like changing the material you know so we offer ducting that's not galvanized steel so just by changing that material from galvanized steel to a phenolic rubber you're suddenly increasing the energy efficiency of it and um, uh yeah and yes. reducing its embodied carbon that product you mentioned's also <coughs> got a lower 
um, frictional coefficient, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Generally, so, so your fans would work. Yeah, so it's got a lot of benefits to it. So the, the product we offer is called Spiralite, and it's a, as I say, it's a phenolic-based rubber um, alternative to galvanised steel. Now, for people not sure what that is, basically it's, it's, it's made from rubber that's put under pressure, and it kind of turns it into like a, a closed cell uh, foam, basically. But it's quite strong, and as Craig said, the, the lining has a much lower resistance to it. Now, the upside of that is that over the entirety of the system, you're increasing your energy efficiency by up to about 48%, which is huge. Now, if you do a little bit of simple maths and look at the building as a whole, well, I've already said your ventilation system's costing about 50% of your running cost. So if you can increase your efficiency by about 48, you're probably increasing or decreasing your energy costs by about a quarter. Just by changing to one, just by changing the product to something that's got a lower Which resistance. is quite quite significant because we, we quite often get clients come to us going, mm -hmm. I want to incorporate solar PV systems or I want to put in air source heat pumps because mm -hmm. everyone wants to reduce their energy bill, yeah, reduce yeah, their energy. Yeah. And we say, no, you need to follow the energy hierarchy. Yep. First of all, you should be looking at how can I reduce my current energy usage mm -hmm. rather than just throwing <clears> renewable <throat> energy technologies at it. Mm -hmm. How do I reduce my... Um, energy usage just now so that's a great example of mm -hmm. I, I completely agree and, and one of the things I always suggest to people is I think ways we could approach net zero a bit differently and it's just my opinion but I think we could adopt uh, almost like a risk assess a risk assessment type strategy where we view carbon or embodied carbon as a hazard and we want to take steps to try and mitigate that and just like we have financial controllers and projects who count the beans maybe we should be having carbon controllers in the project and, you know, they wouldn't be counting the beans. Maybe call them a coal counter or something like that. But, you know, they're, they're, they're basically counting the amount of carbon that's going into the project. And if we treat it the same way as we treat money in terms of we want to minimise it as much as possible, that may help as well. I think as well, just the energy saving has an impact on the rest of the vent system. So when I'm yeah. selecting fans or heat recovery units, if I can drop, because it's got less resistance, sometimes that makes the difference between a, a, a bigger or a smaller unit. Yeah. I can drop a size. 100%. So then the power being used, it doesn't have to work as hard. Yeah, yeah. So that, and then combined with it, it's up to 73% less embodied carbon. It's yeah. a huge saving. It's 80% less transportation. It's another big saving. Yeah. So it has all these knock-on effects. And even from a practical installation point of view, you've shown me the product you're talking about, the Spiderlite product, Gordon, mm. and even trades on site on a construction yep. site, you don't have ventilation guys going in and then people going in lagging it, insulating the, the ductwork either. Yep. Yep. It's a single a single trade that would mm. go in, install it, so you've not really, you're taking away that interface altogether. Aye, yeah. it's, there, it's about 30% quicker to install as well. Aye. Which is massive on a site. Aye, then insulated, aye. Aye. Yeah. Well, um, the other savings you've got there as well is 80% um, lighter as well. Yeah. So when you're actually designing the building in the first place, you can actually reduce the amount of structure you're putting into the building because yeah. you don't have to actually lift as much galvanised ducting as you would with spiralite. So you're yeah. actually saving there. So this is where this is where I, I think about the risk assessment-based approach. When you think about it, it's like, well, okay, yes, you know, can we avoid the risk entirely? Um, no, we need to build a building, right? Can we... What can we do to mitigate or reduce that, that amount of carbon? What a secondary thing. So just by changing one product like into Spiralite, suddenly you're getting the benefit of, well, you don't need this much structure here. 
you're actually saving energy there. Okay, you're reducing body carbon here. So it's a, a bit like the bean counter, the financial controller, where are we saving all these mon- all this money? So we look mm-hmm. at overview like that. It's interesting you say, can we get rid of it altogether, right? So one of the most common questions that we get from mm-hmm. architects, from clients is, I've got openable windows. Why would I bother with a ventilation system? <laughs> Why wouldn't I just open the windows? Mm-hmm. And see, trying to explain to them, See, when it's minus five outside in the middle of winter, you're really going to be opening your window. Yeah. You're not. No. Plus, you've no. got other categories in terms of how polluted the area is. 100%. You're yeah. pulling in fresh air for the countryside. Brilliant. If you're pulling it in for your city centre, yeah. I know there's a lot of change now with electric buses and stuff like that, but there's still a lot of petrol and diesel fumes. 100%. So, yeah, that. No, totally. I mean, uh, and what we've just spoken about as well, heat recovery. If you're using if you're using Windows, that's not an option. You don't have the option of heat recovery. Mm. Plus, there there's so many aspects to a ventilation system that, on the surface, people just don't consider. So, you're filtering out things. So you've got your G4 F7 filters in there, so they're sucking out all the things like pollens, dusts, uh, pollutants from cars. You want that. You, you don't want that be going into your space. Um, if you're relying on you know Windows natural ventilation, then you're not going to be getting the air changes that you want in that space. And that has huge impact. Um, you know, we, we spend about 90% of our time indoors. You know, we breathe 25,000 times a day and it's about 11,000 litres of air we're breathing. And we've all been in spaces that are really uncomfy. How, how many times have you been, Greg, in a, in a space where it's too many people, it's really hot, everyone's got that sheen of sweat on them, you know, you can just all, see all it. theatres, concert. Exactly, yeah. right? They're, they're a perfect example of not enough ventilation in a space. And yeah. h- how do you feel when you're sitting in a space like that? Uncomfortable, right? 100% sleepy. Well, it's, it's even more than that because what happens is when you start to not get enough fresh air, it's actually the oxygen content. What's happening is in a, in a space like that, the CO2 content is building up, not by a huge amount, just by a few percent. Even that few percent change in CO2, that's going to start to impact you directly. You're going to feel more sleepy, more fatigued, you're going to find it difficult to concentrate. You're going to find it um, increasingly hard to remember things. And then if you're doing that over a prolonged period of time, there's actually a massive impact on your long-term health as well because um, the National Lung Association, they were talking about the fact that exposed, long-term exposed um, or long-term increased exposure to, to higher CO2 levels, you're talking about increased risk of stroke, heart attack, heart disease, all these things. So... And, and that's before we even talk about viruses, bacteria, staph sickness. Um, if you're in a space that's not got a sufficient airflow, you know, we've all been there again where you've sat, you can see somebody sneezes and you can basically chart the progress through the office as one person gets ill and the next person gets ill. Again, that a good ventilation system that's well designed won't eliminate that risk, but can certainly mitigate and, start, and, and help prevent it. So... You know, the, the real benefit to the, the building owner and, or the, the, the business is that you're actually reducing the number of sick days. Increasing productivity. Yeah, absolutely. There's many studies into this to, yeah. yep. that, that yeah. demonstrate the, the need for this. And we, we see it with, you, you see it with old schools. Mm-hmm. See when there's, there's, there's poor lighting and poor ventilation. Yeah. The kids or the, the children's performance in school isn't yep. isn't as good. They move mm. into a brand new school that's well lit, well mm. ventilated, 
and, and the productivity goes up, sick days go down. Yeah. Well, here's yeah. here's a question for you both then. So I was looking this up the other day in prep for this, obviously. I don't carry these facts off the top of my head, but how many sick days do you think there was in the UK in 2022, not due to COVID, up to November? Anyone want to take a guess? Days lost due to sickness, colds and coughs and flus. How, how many workers are there in the UK? Oh, I don't know. 60 million or something? No, well, well probably like 40 million. So the number of sick days. No idea. So it was a 1,042,000 sick days lost due to coughs and colds. That's not including COVID. And they reckon, it was in the Telegraph, I was reading this, they reckon it was um, £143 million lost to the economy due to sick days. So I just think, you know, you you talk about productivity, Craig, 100%. Because if, if you have an office space where you've maybe skimped a wee bit on the actual ventilation system, you're then going to be paying for that. Mm-hmm. If not in productivity, in staff illness and staff sickness. Well, you mentioned earlier on about filtered air. Yeah. If, you, if you're filtering air, you're taking out these contaminants within yep. there because it was it was really pertinent when when COVID was Aye. was here, mm-hmm. or or was was going around doing its rounds that that ventilation played a key role in limiting yep. yeah. exposure. Yeah, yeah, but I found there was even classrooms where they had no vent. And we were supplying portable air purifiers to the schools just to try and make sure there was no bacteria in that space. Yeah. And the spiralite system as well, you can have an, an so the it's um, bacterially static is standard, but you can have antibacterial right inner coating. Right. So to me, that's a no-brainer for like schools for NHS that kind of stuff. Yeah. Making sure it's the cleanest air possible. Another thing we're enjoying just now is we've. We've introduced a range, uh, S&P's brought out a fan that's 85% recycled plastic. Mm. Right. So it just ties in. You put that in with the duct and the combination of lowering the carbon is 100%. fantastic. Yeah. And I think, to me, that's just a starting point for S&P. Mm. To me, they'll increase that range because it's so relevant these days. And it's the whole life, isn't it, of the asset? Because even yeah. even after 20, 25 years, whatever the lifetime of the asset is, it's easily recyclable. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, I mean, most of the times that a building is demolished, or one of the most common causes for a building to be demolished are that its ventilation and plumbing systems become too expensive to maintain. So if we can do something like put a, a ventilation system in or a spiralite, for example, which is going to be more well-filtered, actively inhibit bacteria growth, that means your ventilation system is going to need less maintenance because yeah. it's not going to be getting as dirty, yeah. but it's going to last longer. Which means if it's lasting longer and it's costing less to maintain, the building's going to last longer as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So you're extending the life of the building and that has a massive bonus, a massive positive towards contributing towards net zero. Yep. And and we've been very focused on offices and workspaces, mm-hmm. schools, commercial type buildings. I, t- I take it for, for anyone listening that this all these all these good practices, all these problems that we face in offices and public buildings are still relevant in the home and yeah. and yeah. with more modern well insulated homes mm. obviously in older victorian style properties mm-hmm. they've got natural leakage through the building fabric yeah. anyway yeah. um but in more more airtight um modern homes then mm. ventilation can play a, a real yeah. key part in the, the overall building system strategy yeah definitely i mean even i know i spoke earlier and explained to you i was at the factory the factory have a whole range of residential heat recovery units for talking sake. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's relevant for that also. Yeah. No, absolutely. With 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 in terms of the domestic market, if you like, um, we, we've got a challenge in the UK, whereas a lot of our 
building stock is older stock. And we have to somehow figure out how are we going to make that stock more energy efficient. And as you said, Craig, you know, they leak like sieves. So they're not always going to be suitable for certain um, solutions. Like I know older buildings aren't really best for heat pumps. So there have been a few studies that have suggested that. Whereas for newer builds, because of the, the higher category of ceiling, things like passive house standard, um, they are suitable for that. And that's that's actually why we now offer a passive house heat recovery unit that's specifically designed for uh, the domestic market. But that's, yeah, as you say, that's where we have to start looking at different solutions, you know, better insulation um, or how, how we insulate those buildings correctly for the type of building that they are. I think there's a, there's a massive learning opportunity education opportunity there for people building their mm. own homes or specifiers of of new homes because going back even just 10 15 years people weren't putting in vhr systems in their, no. in their properties yeah no. whereas now you go to the ideal home show you go to grand designs live any of these sort of yeah shows and and it's one of the buzzwords mvhr what's the mvhr well, yeah. you, you touched on well um medium um MVHR, uh, heat recovery, mechanical ventilation, heat recovery. There we go. Came in there eventually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. What we talk about in terms of um, larger commercial units absolutely applies in the home as well. And, you know, the the more modern houses can absolutely take advantage of a lot of these these technologies. So you can have solar tiles on your roof. You can have heat pumps built into the base, you know, into the base of it. You can have your, a sealed unit. So you can actually active, actively do heat recovery. So from like the kitchen, the bathroom, things like that, you're taking out that warm, moist air, you're heating up the fresh air that's coming in. And the bottom line is that is saving you money. Mm-hmm. And I suppose in some ways uh, with the cost of living crisis, if we implemented those technologies 10 years ago, just think we would be paying a few pence to heat our home rather than a few pounds to heat our home every day. And I just think it's, it's easy to say, well, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, that this is what we should do. You know, it, it, they cost money. That's that's the thing. But I just think looking at where we are today and where we were 10 years ago, what's going to happen in the next 10 years? Are we going to pay even more for our energy costs now? And and is it one of those things that if we don't act now, are we going to be even in a, in a more in a worse situation in 10 years? So I just I just think let's look at the lessons of what's happened. Energy prices do vary. There's absolutely no guarantee that they're going to go down in price. If anything, we know how companies work. They might go up in price. So mm-hmm. we need to start preparing for that today. And I think, you know, as you said, introducing these technologies into to houses is a... Combine it with software. So I don't know, if, like I've got a hive system at home for my heating. Yep. If you think back to when it used to just be the dial on the front and you would just set the timer and your day might not go to plan and that's come on yep. three hours before you're even in. So using that app on my phone to control that saves me so much energy and money. S&P's get the same system for the residential heat recovery units. Yeah, yeah. So mm. you can be controlling it and making it as efficient as possible for the use. And, and one of the things that we've come across in the past is mm. when, when clients or homeowners or people who are building homes will come to us and say, but I don't really want to be recovering the heat in the summer months when the home's already warm. And, yeah. then, and then we explain to them, well, they've actually got summer bypass modes yeah, blah blah blah. So it's, it's I think it's really about yeah. educating people on the benefits of the systems mm-hmm. and and how they they can benefit from incorporating these systems. Yeah. If I can if I can step in there as a bit as a, give a technical expertise on there. So I think uh, I completely understand why people say that, and the reason 
we well, when we talk about heat, we're actually as engineers we're talking about energy, okay. And it might be difficult for some people to to sort of if you're not in this area, if you're not steeped in this field. But when we say heat or energy, we don't just mean hot; we also mean cold. So if you've got a space that's being conditioned, i.e., you've got an AC unit there, it's cooling the air down. That means energy has been put into that air to cool it. So even in the in the heat of, in the height of summer, for example. If your outside air is warmer than the inside air, well, you want to utilize that cold air to cool the air that's coming in as well. So it's a two-way thing. So sometimes you might want to be heating up the air that's coming in. Other times you might actually want to be cooling it down, depending on the temperature. So if you go to some parts of the world, for example, that's absolutely the case. I can promise you that. In Malaysia, for example, um, the majority, <laughs> I say majority, all of their air is cooled. Yeah. And mm. massive amounts of energy go into cooling it. So when they're talking about, quote-unquote, heat recovery, they're actually using the cold air to cool the incoming warm air mm-hmm. that's going into the space. Yeah, that's a good point, because the heat recovery works both ways. It's not Absolutely. just heat yeah. recovery. Yep. It, yeah. it can be the opposite way. It's just yeah. a plate heat exchanger, so it doesn't really know if what way the, the system's going as such. It just exactly. It just knows that here's the temperature I'm trying to get to. This temperature's A, this temperature's B. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, to get that temperature. Something just popped into my head there as well, just because I was talking about the factory. So mm-hmm. um, because they're looking at air quality and they have this software now that monitors it. So they have there's a couple of things. They have sensors, which is like, like a traffic light system in terms of CO2. Yeah. So if it's the teacher in the school, she doesn't want to be looking at something to see what the, the PPM is. It's not going to mean anything. Exactly. But if it's colour-coded, she can see if it's good quality air or no. Yeah. But what they did to further the study was... They get one of their employees to take the CO2 sensor home, fit it, but don't put in any ventilation or heat recovery. Yeah. And they showed us the graph, and it was quite frightening, actually, because you could literally see when they'd get home from work, and the CO was starting to rise, and it was at its maximum when they were sleeping. Mm-hmm. And you think, well... No wonder people wake up feeling absolutely knackered. They, feel up, they wake up feeling groggy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tired, as you say, they've not slept great. Yeah, so and just, that's exactly mm-hmm. it. If they just, just tied that into a heat recovery system or a fan or something, it would have picked that up, kicked in, brought the CO2 levels back 100%. down. So just, just for the benefit of the, the listeners that might not be aware, um, the CO2, where's it coming from? Well, when you breathe, you breathe out CO2. I, I'm, I'm sure most people know that, but just in case there are some people unaware. But yeah, when as you're breathing, you're breathing out moisture and CO2 into into the air. So basically, you're, you're breathing in air, using up some of the oxygen, and then you're putting out some CO2 into the atmosphere. So if you're in a room that's effectively sealed, over time the amount of oxygen goes down, but the amount of CO2 goes up. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of just going back to your your experience in the industry, if you get any, is there any tips or considerations you could share with the listeners just to give them a wee bit more value if they were looking to specify or not? these these systems going forward? I would mm. say involve us as early as possible, especially when you look at the spiralite duct system for the point of view that they can reduce the construction required in the building. Yeah. So rather than design it based on Galvi and allow for all that weight, we could be involved for the beginning. Yeah. And then for other things like coordinating the plan and there's other things you need to take in consideration in terms of accessing the unit for maintenance yeah. and sometimes that's an afterthought and then it's like oh we need to replace the filters but we kind of quite get that hatch open mm-hmm. 
Um, so involve us as early as possible, help us coordinate and for space. And strangely enough, talking about access, when I was at the factory, they're bringing out, a, it's already launched a new unit where the underside, instead of it being like a hinge panel or something or something you're trying to unclip, it literally just pops down and slides back. Right, okay. And you're straight into the unit. So it's adding about, you know, I don't know, 25 mil or something, 40 mil, in terms of the space required below the unit to get the panel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather than allowing for this thing to be hinged down or... Yeah, yeah. So it's nice. So it, we could be involved in that because there's so many products in the market. You could spend forever trying to figure Aye. out which is the best for your specific project. But, but if they came to us collectively as, as yep. the design yep. specialists, then you could advise them yeah. on the best solution for them. Yep. Aye, absolutely. you can look at the whole of the market. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. We, we kind of, the way we we work is we, we do look at all the, a lot of the products. You know, we appreciate that, you know, people like yourself, Craig, you don't have a lot of time, you know, and your time is valuable to you. So you might not be able to... to look at every single product that's available in terms of, you know, heat recovery units, fans, ducting, and all that. Whereas what we're doing is we're we're specializing in low carbon solutions. So we can actually come to you and say, look, we've looked at the market, we've looked at the manufacturers, and we can say, look, categorically, we think for your particular application in this case, this is the best case solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of tips, you know, I, I, I would just add into what Stuart was saying there about yeah, access is critical. So like when I used to work on ships, um, I've seen it from both sides. I've seen really, really well designed and I've seen really, really bad designed. Um, ironically, almost the same component on two different ships. So one of the vessels I was on was a German-made ship and we were replacing wiper blades on the bridge and cracking design, you know, had a, had a, a bespoke panel for each of the blade motors. You could open it up. There was a little, there was like a little stand area. You could stand up to get access to it. Nothing in front of it. You could just access a motor and basically replace it there and then go to the Spanish made ship, nothing against Spain, but go to the Spanish made ship and it was tucked in behind, ironically, bits of ducting, uh, fan motors and, and actually just getting access to it was a huge pain. Now, the reason you should consider that, not just in terms of from the maintenance pers person's perspective, but why you want to actually actively design against that is if it's hard to do, people will avoid doing it. Mm. It's human nature. So if you have a, let's call it a motor on a fan somewhere and it's buried at the back of whatever unit, guess what? People are going to put that job off. They're not going to clean it when it should be cleaned. And that means the motor is going to build up, it's going to wear, it's not going to have correct um, inspections and maintenance carried out. So it's going to fail and that's going to cost you more in the long run, especially, especially if it's been designed in such a way that you actually have to shut down a part of your business. No building manager or manager at all is going to accept that or want to hear it. So considering how you're going to access it, how you're going to maintain it, how you're going to fix it, is crucial to actually making sure that it runs efficiently because then you can actually maintain it, but also the lifespan of the building. Yeah. And depending on the application, obviously, there's different products on the market mm. that can be maintained in different ways yep. from yeah. the ground, from underneath, for, for ceiling voids. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So they can be tailored to the application, really. And, and the same, in, I suppose, in um, residential properties, mm. MVHR units typically go in a loft or a cupboard. Yeah. So they don't need a full plant room. Yeah. No, exactly. That's, that's a common misconception we have as well. Do, am I going to need a plant room now? Because mm. they've seen commercial yeah. air conditioning or 
or um, ventilation systems. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. And, and as you say, you know, they can go in the loft, they can go in a, a cupboard. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, installations where you basically have what would be a bathroom, and then in the bathroom you've got like sliding doors, and just behind the door is effectively your heat recovery unit, your your boiler, whatever it is, um, or heat pump in, in the case of the one I saw. So absolutely, it doesn't take a lot of space. But as long as you're not tucking it away somewhere that's really, really difficult to get access to, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting as well when you were talking about that because when I went to the factory the other day again, when I was going there, I was thinking, we've got like several ranges of heat recovery units. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I hadn't quite grasped why. I knew there was differences, but it was only when I seen them in the flesh I could then appreciate actually that would work on that project, but that one's better for that project. Yep. Different profiles, different efficiencies, different options with controls, things like that. So yep. it's horses for courses. And that's when I realised we need the different ranges because each project is pretty much different. Yeah, yeah. and that's the beauty of speaking to an expert like yourself says, you can, you can get it tailored rather than mm. just going out to yeah. a wholesaler and buying a heat recovery Aye. unit yeah. that's not really tailored for your requirements. Yeah. So. yeah, I think as well, um, I know what it was like when I was specifying as an architect, you've got deadlines to meet 100%. to get the drawings out or, yeah. or you're blamed for the whole project being late. Yeah. And you've got to know a little about a lot because you could never be specialist in every single area involved in a building. Mm. And for me, calling somebody in that could help me, like us, type idea, and they take, they free up so much of your time and you know you're getting the right products for the project because they do this day in, day out. Yeah. And it was mm -hmm. so much benefit. And even being able to pick up the phone to them and say, well, what if we change that? And can the controls do this? And yeah. is there a better solution to this? It's, it's to me as a specifier at that point, it was worth its weight in gold. Yeah. I think I think this has been really good for the listeners and I think they'll get a lot of value out of it. Yeah. And thanks a lot, guys, for coming on to the podcast today. It's been Thank really, you. really good. Thank you. Really enjoyed Thank it. You. Cheers. Cheers.